Welcome to the Family Matters Podcast, where we answer the tough questions about divorce and separation, empowering you to make better decisions for yourself and your family. Welcome to a special episode of the Family Matters Show. Little has had a more sudden and jarring impact on families than the COVID-19 pandemic, with all of its fears, lockdowns and job losses. Today, our show is going to focus exclusively on helping families to get through these difficult times. I'm your host, Benjamin Bryant, an accredited family law specialist with Bryant McKinnon Lawyers, and I am joined today by Dr. Doug Andrews, a psychiatrist from Coffs Harbour Baringa Hospital, who is going to help us wade through the emotional issues faced by families at this time. Doug, thank you so much for taking the time to help us and find some answers today. I'm sure this is a very busy time for you. Hello, Ben. It is. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here, and I think it's a busy time for everybody right now. Certainly. And look, this is actually Doug's second time on the show, so he's a bit of an old hand at it, but it's the first time we've recorded the show remotely. Complying with today's social distancing rules, I'm currently recording from my office in Coffs Harbour, and Doug is recording from his home at Emerald Beach. We are very lucky that the marvels of modern technology allow the show to go on. Okay, Doug, if we're ready, we might delve into some of the issues affecting families at this time. And let's start by talking about the impact of children. Most children will have some level of awareness about the dangers of COVID-19. Do you have any advice for parents about how to talk to children about the crisis? Yes, look, Ben, I think we should probably uh, set some ground rules before we get into that. Children are going to hear a lot of information some of it very alarming, and they see dramatic changes in their lives. So we can't entirely shelter people from this. The kids aren't going to school. They can't visit friends. They're not able to visit their grandparents. Their lives have changed really quite profoundly. And and so I, I think that there's some things that parents should really be considering. And for the sake of their children, but also for the sake of themselves, I think they have to turn off the barrage of news. I, I'm not saying that they shouldn't be informed and set aside time to make sure that they know what's going on in the world, but children don't need to hear about this 25 times a day. The parents don't need that, and the children certainly don't. I think that they shouldn't be, as parents, talking about this to a great extent in front of the children. Uh, You know, I listen to my own friends, my colleagues, and the talk is often quite catastrophic. And children are listening. You know, they're intelligent little beings, and they hear all of this going on. And if you're an anxious parent, and many people are, and at this time, many people are anxious, even if they don't really have a lot of anxiety in normal times, then they're likely to be speaking in a a kind of a way which is going to be alarming their children, and their children aren't necessarily going to tell them about that. I think, how do we discuss this? Because kids have questions about this. I have grandchildren who are four years old and six years old, and they're asking questions about it. Um, I think we just have to answer in in a simple and straightforward way. I think we need to be honest with the kids, but they don't need a great deal of detail. They're more interested in, in why they can't do the things that, that they normally do. Just give them clear answers in a way appropriate to their age, something that they can understand. 
And that's something that I was going to ask Doug was, is it different for children of different ages? Because obviously younger kids, they rely on their parents for most of their information, all, all of their needs that are dependent on their parents. But when you have teenagers, of course, they're on TikTok and social media and all sorts of things, getting information from a variety of sources. So um, it really depends on the children's ages as to what detail, I guess, you go into or how you approach it. Yes, of course, that's true. And, and they will have very different concerns. Um, young children are, are hearing this stuff and they're worried, will they get sick? Will they die? Will their parents die? Um, they wonder why they can't go to school, why they can't see their friends, why they can't visit grandma, that kind of thing. Older kids, it's really disrupting their lives. And they just want to get back to what is the normal and healthy focus in their lives? Teenagers are, are focused socially. They're interested in their friends. They're interested in the things that are happening in the community. And in a very stark way, we've taken that away from them by social distancing, by closing down the schools, by closing down the social clubs, by closing down the coffee shops. Um, so they, they have a very different set of concerns, and yet they will also be worried about the illness associated and, and the risks of themselves. And, and I think in the current environment where there's so much being said and there's so many dire consequences in some countries that haven't yet reached Australia but might, kids need to understand that they're really not highly at risk from this. Even if they get this illness, they're likely to do very well. Their parents are in an age group where they're likely to do very well as, as well. Um, so, you know, they have to see this, and I think we all need to see this as a catastrophe for our society. It's, it's causing great financial strain. It's going to cost the lives of many people. But for most people, especially kids and their younger parents, um, it's not going to have that kind of an impact directly on them. It might affect older relatives and older friends. The other thing I guess that, you know, came to my mind is that, you know, maybe kids need to understand why we're going through all of this pain in terms of the social distancing and the shutdowns. And the real reason behind this is we're trying to prevent the hospitals from becoming overwhelmed so that we can give the best healthcare possible to everybody in our society. And kids are doing their part by staying home, by not being in school, by not seeing their friends. They're really contributing greatly. And they need to understand there's a purpose behind this. It's not just about uh, punishment, which probably feels like for a lot of them. And Doug, for a lot of families and a, and a lot of parents, what, what parents are trying to do is to protect children from, um, say, adult is issues or catastrophes or crises or something and let children be children. But in these circumstances, in these unprecedented times, um, it's unavoidable. For example, extreme financial hardship. There's a lot of industries, a lot of business closures. Are we talking to our kids about the financial worries or are they still best to be kept from them? Yeah. Look, Ben, you brought up earlier the the idea of what is age appropriate. And for younger children, I, I don't think that financial issues are really and should not really be their concern. That's something that the parents should look after uh, without really bringing them into the discussion. Again, if they ask specific questions, I think that they should be given very simple answers. But this isn't a worry that they need to have. There's enough good reasons why 
you know, they can't go on holidays or we're not going to buy them a new bike this week. And we can frame it in terms of the, the social distancing, the isolation, the shops being closed and, and all of those things. I would be quite protective of kids around issues that they don't need to be concerned about. I think you might give a slightly more sophisticated answer to teenagers, but typically uh, the adults need to manage the finances. These are adult concerns. It becomes darker if you can't pay the rent, if you can't afford to buy food or you're running a business which has collapsed and it looks like you're not going to be able to uh, reopen it. Legitimate questions about why are their parents at home when their parents previously went out to work every day? Mm -hmm. um, what are they doing about the shop, the business, the, the professional rooms or whatever it is? Um, I think you, you can answer those questions in ways appropriate to the kids, but as much as possible, I think we want to protect the kids from this stuff. And of course, in protecting the children and everyone, really, um, we're all being kept at home and relatively restricted. This is going to lead to a certain amount of cabin fever, if you haven't felt it already. <laughs> but it is possible that there may be longer term mental health issues for kids if we have to essentially be shut down for some time, yeah? Yes. <laughs> look, I, I think we're all suffering from cabin fever already. <laughs> so, look... I'm going to take that as almost two questions, and, and I know that it was phrased more or less as one, but I think that there's a lot that we can do in the space that we have, and children, adults both, need to have structure and activity. They need to be eating well and have physical exercise. The kids are home from school or preschool, and, and the schools are contributing. They are coming up with homework plans and those sorts of things. Parents don't need to be teachers, but they need to supervise this. They need to have ideally set times where they can sit the kids down and say, now's your schoolwork time. Later on, we're going to jump on the trampoline or we'll go for a walk and we'll run on the beach for 20 minutes, keeping all the right distance from everybody else who's running on the beach. But there's a lot that you can do to keep the kids physically and mentally healthy in this space. They are needing social contact. They can uh, link up with their friends. They can link up with their grandparents. They can link up with their school and using technology like Zoom and things like that. Um, and, and that is a band-aid, but it's, it's an effective way of trying to keep them connected with their usual life. So, you know, we want to do that. I, I think we want to be careful in this environment. We want to be careful that the kids aren't getting too much screen time. You mentioned the adolescence on social media. I think it's pretty clear that social media makes people unha unhappy if we spend too much time on it. And there's a lot of risk in that. So, you know, parents are going to have to step up and take a lot of responsibility for what's happening in the home. But kids are... are going to be exposed and, and their lives have changed. So we're looking at the possibility that they will develop anxiety and it may not go away when this goes away. They may get mood problems. So if your kids are, are fretting about things or they're, they're crying, they're, they're withdrawing, they lose motivation, they don't want to be active anymore, or, or they're throwing temper tantrums. And, you know, I, I always think of toddlers and young children, but 
you know, older people can throw temper tantrums too. Um, and all of those should be warning signs that something is amiss with the kids. Kids are very resilient and they will survive, but some kids will develop mental health problems and may need to have professional support and help. And there's been a, a tremendous shift in the way mental health is being delivered in this country so that like me, a lot of health professionals are working remotely. Many psychologists, probably school counselors, are willing to see uh, people by video links. And the government has stepped up. They're supporting that. So we've got provision for that. And you don't want to wait too long. And, and you don't want to expect that all of these things will resolve when we finally have a vaccine or, or whatever it is that says we can all go back to our usual lives. You just touched on it then, Doug, but children will adapt to change differently, um, It'll as with adults, of course, as well. Um, people handle change differently. And you've mentioned perhaps some withdrawal or um, tantrum throwings. What are some other signs that parents could look for that it's having an adverse impact on their mental health? Well, you know, I, I think you would be expecting that if kids aren't doing well, their behavior is going to change. That might be expressed in irritability or tantrums, but it might also be expressed in not wanting to do the things that they normally do, not taking an interest in things that they normally would uh, want to engage in. For example, you know, an older child might give up playing their musical instrument or they might give up drawing. They don't want to contact their friends. They don't want to talk to people. They're isolating themselves in their room and they don't want to come out. You're just looking at changes in the way these kids usually relate and their usual behavior. And as I say that, I realize that their behavior is being forced to be changed. So parents are going to have to be checking in and watching the kids and the parents are stressed. And the parents are going to have anxiety problems and mood problems, some of them. And they need to also be able to be checking in and watching the others in the household and making sure that every, everybody is okay. It's a challenging time. And like you said before, Doug, there's still mental health services available for children and adults out there as well. It may look a little bit different now, perhaps with telehealth and the things like that, but it's still available. And there are some very interesting things happening. This Way Up is our um, anxiety disorders research unit, and they do provide clinical care in Sydney. And they typically have been selling their courses, and they've put them all online for free. So okay. anybody can access them. Anybody can use them. Um, there are other resources around the world. Yale University runs a course in well-being, which they've put online for free. Mm. Um, there's many, many, many others that people can access and get support from and get help. Excellent. Well, we might put a link of This Way Is Up onto um, this podcast for our listeners there. And Doug, if I can now move to adult relationships. Couples are finding themselves trapped in the house all day with each other for who knows how long. Plus, of course, many are experiencing real financial hardship and other pressures. This would put a strain on even the best relationship. What can people do to protect their relationships at this time? 
This is, I agree entirely. It's going to be a very tough time in many relationships and even healthy relationships, but those that are already under strain, it might lead to breaks. It might lead to uh, behaviors that are unacceptable in relationships. The first and most important rule is about communication. People have to talk to each other. They have to do it often and they have to do it respectfully. The golden rule here is that you talk about how you feel and what your needs are and as much as possible stay away from that impulse to criticize the other person. For some couples this isn't something that they do in, in a very structured way and, and we're in a pressure cooker and for some of them it might be helpful to set aside some time when the kids aren't going to be around or the kids are in bed or they're playing in, in the backyard just so that they can touch base with each other and, and see how they're going. This is um, something to help them to share the load and, and sharing the load in a physical sense as well, because people are seeing a change in their roles. People who had been going to work for 40, 50 hours a week are now sitting at home. People who had a split of labor in the home may have to reevaluate. And, and I think everybody has to look at what does need to be done. We're not used to looking after our school-age kids all day long. And that's not something that you can do on the side. That's a big job. So parents, couples, partners are going to have to talk to each other about how can they support each other? How can they split this work? How can they make sure that it gets done? And, and I think this is a time when people are going to have to try to be fair and maybe err on the side of being generous. You know, if you're not sure whether you're doing too much or not, maybe doing a little bit more than is expected of you is better than doing less and, and will create a better, more harmonious household and, and less stress for everybody. Parents need time out. They need time out from each other, especially if relationships are strained. So it's okay to go for a run on the beach. It's okay to get on your bicycle and go. And if you're irritable or you're getting angry, then maybe that's a good time to have some time out. But talk to your partner about it because silence is misinterpreted. Silence is seen as sullenness or anger or you don't love me anymore. And you have to... Again, go back to that communication, talk about how you're feeling. And if you're walking out for a half an hour, then say so and say, look, I'm just not coping very well right now. I need to get out of the house. I'll be back in half an hour. And then when you're back, you need to talk about it and why that happened. You need to find time for intimacy. And when you're home all day and people are irritable and stressed, then um, that might have to be something that they think about carefully and, and plan for. Um, and there's going to be moments where people get angry or upset and overreact. And, and if you have and you recognize it, then apologize and you know try to move on from that because it's, it's going to happen and it's going to happen in good relationships. That's some great tips there, Doug. And I always say to, to clients on an every, everyday basis, the demise of any relationship, whether it be romantic or otherwise, will be the absence of communication. And I think your message is so important there. But of course, there's some people that cannot communicate in their relationships. And 
As we know, the country is now bracing itself for a lift in domestic violence incidents as a result of the COVID-19 isolation measures. And the government's just announced um, $150 million into domestic violence services. Um, People in domestic violence situations must be feeling even more trapped than what they were. What advice do you have for a parent who fears domestic violence directed at themselves or their children? This is very difficult and all credit to the government for recognizing this and supporting it early. I read just today that they've already seen a 25% jump in the UK and the UK is ahead of us on the COVID curve. So we're moving in that direction. So I, I, I think that's a very, very real concern. People in dysfunctional relationships will have less time away from each other. Um, a lot of times when people are in difficult relationships, they talk about the relief they have when their partner goes to work and they've got eight hours away from them or whatever it is and, and time to be a bus beside themselves. We're also going to see all the financial problems that you alluded to earlier, which is going to put extra strain on relationships. Um, social distancing means that People who are in relationships with a controlling partner will find it more difficult to connect with uh, family, friends, and other people who might be able to support them. And Ben, I, I think we just default back to the usual thing. Domestic violence is unacceptable in any circumstances. Um, if you're subject to it, then you have to know how to maintain your boundaries. If that requires phoning the police, then that's what you must do. If that leads to an arrest or an AVO, then that's a consequence. People have to take consequences for their actions. If your partner can no longer live in the home and has to find their own way in the world for a while, then children deserve to be safe and and adults deserve to be safe. So I, I think that these services will ramp up, hopefully. There will be people that you can talk to and get support from. The refuges will still exist. Um, and people have to use those things. The more challenging thing is when you're in that coercive controlling relationship that doesn't necessarily spill over into punches. And it's, it can be very insidious and very difficult to know you know, where do I draw the line? This person has always been controlling and difficult. And now, well, I'm not really supposed to be leaving the house. And, you know, he or she's telling me I shouldn't be leaving the house. And the car keys have been taken away. And that's going to be really challenging. And that's where some of these services are going to be so important, where there's numbers to call and people that you can talk mm -hmm. to um, as long as you can find a moment away from that person. Um, this is going to be a tough time. It certainly is, Doug. And just like with the, the mental health services, I think it's important for our listeners to know that the domestic violence services are still available. It might be different now. How we can access the services might be different, but we still have the hotlines. We still have 1800 Respect. We have Victim Services, New South Wales, Women's Resource Centres, New South Wales Police and the like. Um, safety um, is the priority. And like you said, family violence is inexcusable no matter when it occurs. And so it's important for people to know that those services um, are still out there and uh, are not closed. Yeah, exactly. 
And finally, Doug, um, we're just going to talk a little bit about the lives and relationships of divorced or separated families. And I guess I come into that somewhat because I'm the, I'm the lawyer voice on the show, of course. Um, <laughs> but, you know, for the last two weeks, myself and my partner, this office has been fielding a lot of calls from families who have either been through the court process before or were lucky enough to get consent orders at the time, um, which set out who a child is to live with and who the child is to spend time with and what those parenting arrangements are. And of course, now we have this situation where the the government, the different state governments, um, are giving directives to people uh, as to what they can do and what they can't do. And sometimes there's inconsistencies between what the government says that people can currently do and, of course, what court orders compel them to do. And some people have made the decision to stop children going to their ex-partner because of COVID-19 concerns. And some people have even stopped their own contact. I have a client who's on the front line, as it were, and works as a a paramedic. And they essentially, quite early on in the piece, pulled out of their spend time with arrangements. So there's even people relinquishing time. And of course, the court is obviously not going to just say, oh, forget about those, just ignore those for the time being, just pretend like they're not there. Um, Obviously, children need um, a relationship with both their parents. Obviously, children need stability and consistency at this time and a bit of routine. But also, the court, of course, doesn't want to see children be in a situation that is not safe. So it really is, whether they have a reasonable excuse or whether the children are an unacceptable risk of harm is on a case-by-case basis. And if the listeners out there are wanting me to give a definitive answer or response as to what they should do, they're going to be disappointed. It's very difficult. As everything in family law, it's discretionary. Uh, Will Ulstergan, I listened to him, he's the Chief Justice of the Family Law Courts in Australia, and he was Um, speaking on ABC Radio this morning with Fran Kelly. And essentially his message was for parents uh, just to communicate with each other and to offer flexibility, which is, um, Doug, essentially the same things that you were just speaking of them, um, being an effective communication, often and respectful. But that is really difficult for people when they're separated and might be acrimonious and they can't communicate um, and there's absolutely no trust. And I am sure there are people out there who are using the COVID-19 measures as a reason to withhold contact for a whole variety of reasons. But I think it's fair to say that there's a lot of concerned parents out there. And when one parent is saying, I have concerns for our children with the travel arrangements or because I don't know what's happening in your household, the other parent simply hears I don't value your relationship with the children. And we don't know how long it's going to go on for either, Doug. It depends, you know, what news station you listen to. could be three months, six months. Who actually knows? And I had this really unique experience today. I was doing a family dispute resolution conference. And as I said, for the last couple of weeks, I've been talking to parents who already have orders in place. But this morning, I was helping parents who were trying to navigate what the future is going to look like so they could reach an agreement um, and get orders in place. And we're used to trying to look into the crystal ball about 
what's going to happen when a child reaches school age or what happens when a parent moves or when a child returns a particular age. But trying to define what the COVID-19 pandemic is and when it's going to stop and what should be the arrangements and the travel and where the contact can occur and whether there's restrictions or injunctions on who people can interact with, it's really quite difficult. But I think it's fair to say that the message I would give to the parents is the court would never expect parents to do something which caused their child danger. Some people might be... um, have orders that are simply frustrated. For example, um, it might involve aeroplane travel and that's just not available anymore. Or it might be at a contact centre and uh, the contact centres are shut. In those circumstances, uh, essentially, the orders are frustrated. But it's harder when there's just concerns of parents when perhaps the borders are still open or they might be an exempt person. But that parent really does have concerns, not necessarily perhaps for the child, but not knowing what's happening in the other parent's home because, of course, when they come back, you might have other children who are at higher risk or you might live with your parents or something like that. And really, Doug, the the family court's always trying to do what's in the best interest of children and for separated couples trying to jointly manage their children through these difficult times, what advice do you have to ensure that kids come through the crisis well? Yeah. I guess a solution that's going to be different for every couple. And you mentioned the the paramedic who has stepped back. And I and I know that our medical colleagues in Europe, um, many of them aren't going home. And they're not going home at all. And they've found alternative accommodation. And they've done that altruistically out of concern for the well-being of their family. Uh, because they don't want to bring this thing home. And they're working 14 or 15 or 18 hours a day anyway. So the problem is going to manifest differently in every home, and the solution is going to look different as well. Children are resilient, and they will come through this if their home environment is adequate. And I use that word advisedly. It doesn't have to be perfect. Um, No home is. It just needs to be good enough. They need to see respect between their parents. They have to have a safe environment. They need their basic needs met, and they need to be treated with love. Um, Most kids will come through this. This pandemic is a crisis unlike I've ever seen in in my life and uh, in my medical career. I've never experienced anything like it. I don't think any of the office have. And I, and I notice politicians are starting to use the war metaphor about it, which I don't like. And Thomas Keneally wrote a, an article on the weekend, and he said, he said it's not like war, and he remembers World War II, because we can still hug each other. People are social animals, and mm. they need their social environment to be healthy. And we've lost a lot of our usual social ways of interacting during this time. So separated couples, what can they do? I think this is an extraordinary time and they have to step up. Now is a time to really act like an adult. Every action they take should be determined by what's best for their children. And as parents sharing the care of a child, they need to treat each other with respect. The well-being of their children will be, to a considerable extent, 
determined by the well-being of their ex-partner. Whether they like that partner or whether they don't, this is a time to do more than you might be expected to do. And, and I think people are going to have to try harder than they might have tried in the past and try to put aside the petty squabbles. Kids do need access to both of their parents. Not every separated couple has a bad parent and a good parent. Many have two good parents, and, and they need to try to find ways of, of making that work. Wow, what a great message. And thank you so much, Doug, for taking the time to be on today's show and helping the community get through these times. A pleasure. And to all of our listeners, thank you for listening. And we hope you are staying safe and well and looking out for each other. Usually we announce our plans for next month's show at this point. But like everything else at this time, our podcast is staying fluid. The topic of our show in May will likely be dictated again by the COVID-19 crisis. We will keep you posted on Facebook on the topic for upcoming podcasts as they are finalised. Before we go, I want to mention that we have links to a number of resources related to COVID-19, plus a full transcript of today's show on our website, bryantmckinnon.com.au. Goodbye for now. Thank you for listening and stay safe. The information provided on this podcast is general in nature and not a substitute for personal legal advice. We recommend you consult an accredited family law specialist.